Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Bible 101. This is lesson number 17. We have been going through the Old Testament, and in the last lesson, we discussed a couple of the laws. We're not going to focus on any others because it's an inexhaustible study, but I did focus on the law of tithing and the law of the avenger of blood. This week, we're going to be talking about the golden calf incident. And if you remember, when Moses goes up on the mountain with God, God gives him something called the Ten Commandments. And I want to remind you of that. Let's go back and read it in the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, verse number 1 through verse number 5. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now watch this. Let's flip over to the book of Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to find out it didn't take them very long to break this commandment. Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse number one. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. Several points I want to make here. God knew what he was doing when he selected Moses to be the leader of God's people. God knew what he was doing when he put Aaron as Moses's helper because God knew that Moses had what it took to tell the people no. But God also knew on the flip side that Aaron did not have what it takes to tell the people no. And so uh, the people gathered themselves together and they put pressure on Aaron and so he gives in very easily. Now notice what they said, make us gods. couple things to point out here. What did God tell them? Don't make unto you any graven image. So they're saying, make us. And then he also said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, but they said, make us gods. So there, it didn't take them very long to break this commandment. And then uh, they, this is what happens. Verse number two. Now this is very important. Exodus chapter 32 and verse number two. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Now, where did they get these things? Now, if you back up and read the Exodus story, remember God had told them 
to go and borrow from the Egyptians because the Egyptians were afraid of them. And so God had told them to go and borrow. And this is where they got their golden earrings. This is where they got all of the gold. Now, where did they get the idea for a God to be made unto them? Well, we're about to see this, okay? Let's keep reading in Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 4. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Now, where did they get the idea of a golden calf? They got it in Egypt. So this is very important to understand because it's often been said, God brought them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. So they're out of Egypt, but they still got Egypt in their heart. And this is the problem. And we see what happens is that when Moses is away from them for a certain amount of time, the people left to their own devices are going to turn back to Egyptian idolatry. They're going to turn back to the ways of Egypt. Remember, Egypt is a type of the world. Okay, Israel is also a type of the church. And so if I could put it this way, um, I mentioned in the last lesson talking about the importance of the man of God in your life. Well, this demonstrates for us very clearly the importance of a man of God for your life. Because if you're left to your own devices, and if you're left to... Uh, yourself to develop your own doctrines and to develop your own beliefs and to do your own thing, you're going to be like a leaf blowing in the wind. When there's good times, you're going to be very conservative. You're probably going to try to obey the Bible, is 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 uh, uh, take it as literal as possible. But then when hard times come, you're going to be tempted to take and bend those rules a little bit and to twist them a little bit. That's why you need a solid man of God that preaches the truth in your life so that he can help you to stay balanced in good times and in bad times because you're going to have times where uh, you know maybe you're struggling in your prayer life and you feel like God's not hearing your prayers and in those moments you're going to be tempted to go and do your own thing you're not going to want to wait on God at times all of us have gone through that that's when you need somebody to tell you no and so here we have it if Moses had been down uh, from the mountain and uh, the people had approached him and said, make us gods, we all know what Moses would have said. He, he would have told them, absolutely not. I will not do this for you. But when it came time for the people to do this, because Aaron didn't have the fortitude to stand up to the people, he bowed to their wishes and he made them a golden calf. And we see how quickly the people turn away from God when they don't have a leader. Another point to be made here is that they didn't understand why Moses was gone for so long. Now, God's given Moses the commandments to lead the people. He's given them the law. He's given them uh, Moses' instructions on how to build the tabernacle. He's given him all of these things. And so Moses is up on the mountain for this reason. But the people got tired of waiting on Moses but ultimately, they got tired of waiting on God. And can I just say this? The, the time that you're going to be the most tempted to walk away from what you know is when you feel like God is inactive in your life. That's when we really find out what's in our heart. Because it's in these moments where we may not understand God. 
And we may say, you know, I don't know what's become of God. Where is God at? You read over and over in the Psalms, God, why do you stand far off from me? God, why are you hiding yourself from me? But the beautiful thing about the Psalms is it may start out with kind of discouragement. The psalmist struggling within himself, wondering where God is at. But it usually always ends in praise. Very few exceptions in the Psalms, but it always ends in praise. God, nevertheless, I will still trust in you. Nevertheless, I will still worship you and praise you. So if you want to know whether or not you're a solid Christian, the question to ask yourself is, do you serve God when you don't feel him? Do you serve God when it feels like he's not doing anything for you? Do you serve God when it feels like he's afar off from you? These are good questions to ask yourself. So when it seemed like Moses, their leader, and ultimately God had just disappeared out of their lives, the people returned to their own devices and they went back to the ways of Egypt. They went back to the world. Okay, so let's uh, let's keep reading here. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32 and verse number uh, 5. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Several things to point out here. Okay, notice what it says. The people said, Make us gods. Plural. All right? And then notice it says, Aaron fashioned it into a molten calf. This is verse 4. And they said, uh, These be thy gods. Now that's an interesting term there. And they said. Who's they? Well, perhaps the leaders of the people. But it says, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. But watch this. Verse 5. Now, I I don't want to read too much into the text here, but it almost appears like Aaron realizes this thing's really gotten out of hand. And so watch what, what he says here. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And in your King James Version, that's in all caps, meaning that is uh, the divine name of God. So I don't know exactly what Aaron was doing here because the people were uh, worshiping this golden calf as if it was an idol. But Aaron, it almost seems, is trying to draw their attention back to the Lord by saying tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. But watch this, verse number six. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now, there's a lot of things I could say about this passage of scripture, but uh, I'll try to keep it brief. So notice what it says. It says they offered burnt offerings. Uh, They offered peace offerings. They sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Okay, what does this mean exactly? Now, we're going to see here in a little bit that um, that the people were worshiping and dancing around this golden calf. But watch. Now, notice Aaron had said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, all caps. But something's going to happen here in just a moment that I want you to notice very carefully. We, we could all tend to miss this. So I want you to read along with me. Open your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 32. Now let's read verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted thy, uh, themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now there's several things to discuss here. Number one, notice he says, Moses, your people... Uh, he calls them your people. He's no longer calling them my people. He calls them your people. Can I just say this, that God wants to be first in your life. And if you put things ahead of God, and if you worship something else besides God, then God no longer looks at you as, as his child. If you're going to put something else ahead of God, then God will forsake you. I want to make that very, very clear. Because in our modern day in society, in, in modern day Christendom, there's this concept of God that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter uh, how you... Uh, uh, you know, uh, worship the devil. And, and obviously when you commit sin, the Bible says he that committed sin is of the devil. And, uh, it doesn't matter what you do. You can go and commit sin. You can do anything you want to do. Uh, and God will still love you and God will still say, that's my child and you'll still be saved. Can I tell you that's just wrong? The Bible says here very clearly that when they turned and they started worshiping a golden calf, it didn't matter what they did. Uh, when they worshiped this golden calf, it didn't matter if they did hold a feast to the Lord after they built this golden calf. God looked at them and he said, that's not my people anymore. Moses, this is your people. And God was ready to destroy them. Can I just say, God is a God of love. The Bible says very plainly, God is love. But God is also a just God. And if you're going to turn away from God then God will leave you to your own devices, but just realize you'll have to be punished for your sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Sin brings separation between you and God. So can I just tell you, it doesn't matter even if you are saved, even if you have repented of your sins, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, have been baptized in Jesus' name, you can still go your own way and do your own thing. Uh, unconditional eternal security is just not a biblical concept at all. And I don't have time to get into that exhaustive study. But one thing to point out, I mentioned in a previous lesson talking about in the book of Acts chapter number 5, we're told the story of Ananias and Sapphira, that God struck them down. This is in the new covenant. This is in the period of grace. This is in the age of the church. And yet God struck down two people who, by the way, were members of of the church. That means they had repented, they had been baptized, they had received the Holy Ghost, they were members of the church, and yet God struck them down. Why? Because they lied to the Holy Ghost. They were not afraid to lie to the Holy Ghost, and God struck them both down. So let me just say this, God is a God of love, but we also need to remember God is a just God. And that you don't want to play around with God. You don't want to mess around with God. So don't take advantage of God's mercy. And what I mean by that is don't treat it flippantly. Don't treat it lightly. The Bible talks about the blood of the new covenant. And I don't have that scripture in front of me, but it is found in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and it says if they died under the old law, uh, under the testimony of two or three witnesses, of how much more sore punishment... Uh, will we be subjected to if we trample on the blood of the covenant? So that is something to consider. Even in the period of grace, can I just tell you, God is still a holy God. He's still a jealous God.
and we ought not to treat that lightly. Okay, so let's get back to the scripture. Um, it says this, now God was ready to destroy them. Watch what Moses does. This is the book of Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why did thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they will inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now there's so much that I could pull out of this uh, portion of scripture. Once again, this is another advantage of having a pastor in your life. That um, obviously we all want somebody to pray for us. We all want somebody that can intercede on our behalf. This is the perfect definition of intercession. To intercession is to plead uh, to God on behalf of someone else. Now, there's a lot of things I could talk about with intercession. Sometimes you may be pleading your own case before God. I understand that. But many times intercession is pleading uh, someone else's case before God. And you get in the mode of intercession the Bible talks about with groanings, which cannot be uttered. It's, it's a period of desperation with God. You're really trying to get God's attention on behalf of somebody else. You're interceding for them, praying for them. This is what Moses is doing. He's interceding for the people before God. And notice what he tells God. He tells God, remember. It's okay to sometimes remind God of some things. If you've ever received a promise from God in your life, and you don't see that promise coming to pass, and it feels like the longer you live, the further away you get from that promise, then what you need to do is pray and say, God, remember your promise. God, you said. God, you told me. God, remember what you told me. And, re and look what he says. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God, you can't just destroy this people because you made a promise to Abraham that his seed would be multiplied as the stars of the heaven and as the grains of sand upon the seashore. God, remember what you said to Abraham. Remember how that promise was passed to Isaac. Remember how it was uh, passed to Jacob. God, you can't uh, go back on your word. God, you made a promise. Remember your promise. And he told the Lord to repent. I mean, these are strong words. But can I just tell you that uh, some of the greatest men in, in the Bible were men that were intercessors. Look at Abraham. Remember Abraham interceded on behalf of Lot. And he said, Lord, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 righteous people, then for 40, then for 30, and then for 20. And finally, he gets down to 10. He interceded with the Lord. And so Abraham was an intercessor. And here we see Moses was an intercessor. He pleaded on behalf of the people. Later, we're going to see that David was an intercessor. There was a time in his life where uh, he took a census, which he shouldn't have done, and the people were being struck down, and he interceded on behalf of the people, and God heard his voice, and he stopped the plague. You see, some of the greatest men in your Old Testament were men that were intercessors, men that got to a special place with God.
And I don't have time to read it, but the book of Isaiah talks about God seeking for an intercessor, seeking for somebody that would plead on behalf of the people. And he said, none could be found. Can I just tell you today, God is still looking for an intercessor in our world today. Intercessors are few and far between. And there's so many stories I could tell about this. I'm reminded of the story of a missionary who said that um, there was a, a woman in a church that was known as an intercessor. One day she was cleaning her house. She was running the vacuum cleaner. And I'm telling the story to the best of my memory. Uh, It has been spoken about, and I believe it's also been written uh, in some books. And I don't have those that material in front of me today, so I'll tell it from uh, the best of, of, of my memory here. But this woman was cleaning the house, and all of a sudden a burden hit her in the spirit. And she fell to the floor, and she crawled over to the piano, and she grabbed a hold of the piano leg, and she started to pray, and she interceded for, I believe it was several hours. And finally the burden lifted, and she let go of that piano leg. Well, later on, this certain missionary came to that church and he preached a message and um, he began to talk about some things. And this woman, after the service, walked up to him and she said, I want to ask you a question. He said, yes, ma'am. She said, on such and such day, she says, I came under a very heavy burden for you. And she says, I prayed and interceded and I grabbed hold of the piano leg on the bench. It took time, uh, excuse me, it took place on this date at this time. She remembered the specific date and the specific uh, time that it took place. And so this man was a very uh, careful keeper of records. And so he went back to his journals and he looked. That happened to be the very day and the very time where they were driving a bus and that bus slipped off and started to go down the cliff and would have plunged to their deaths, but it caught hold on a tree stump and held in place long enough for them to get out of the vehicle. And as soon as they got out of the vehicle, it plunged down that cliff. They survived. And notice she grabbed hold of the piano leg and their bus caught hold on a tree stump. Can I tell you, God is still seeking for an intercessor today. I remember a story I heard not that long ago about uh, a young man that was interceding in a church. And they said he began to pray in some foreign language, which sounded, I believe it was uh, uh, like something like Arabic. And they said he interceded and he said he kept pointing to his hands uh, and he kept saying something in the spirit. And he said the, the preacher that heard him doing this said, it sounds like he's pleading for uh for somebody to take the chains off because he kept pointing to his hands and acting like he had chains on and kept interceding and speaking in this uh, this this foreign dialect which sounded like Arabic. Well, the interesting thing is this, this young man said, uh, let's watch the news or, or excuse me, listen to the news <laughs> to, uh, to see um, what happens within the next few days because I believe something's going to come out of this. Well, what had happened was there were there was an extreme Muslim group that had taken several pastors hostage and they said that uh, they were trying to decide what to do with these men and some foreign uh, uh, person walked in um, an ambassador walked in and kept saying over and over, take the chains off, take the chains off, take the chains off and they let that man go. Can I just tell you, there's power in intercession. There's power in intercession. There's so many stories I could tell you right now about the power of intercession. Um, there just 
my mind is flooded with different things I could say, but I'm, I'm going to try to move on. But can I just tell you that there may be some people out there that is uh, recent converts and you've just received the gift of the Holy Ghost and you've just been baptized in Jesus' name and you're wondering what all is possible. Uh, with this Holy Ghost that dwells inside you. I'm telling you that God has a purpose for your life. God may not have a call for you to preach, and God may not um, be calling you to do something like be a missionary or something like that, but God may have a calling for your life to be an intercessor. And you might say, well, how does this work? Well, let me just tell you this, that uh, usually when when you pray, the Bible tells us how to pray. Uh, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. So when you begin to pray, worship God. Thank God for what he's done in your life. We ought to come into his presence with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So that's how you start out in prayer. You start with worship. You start with praise. Because so many times... Uh, you know, we, we have a tendency to start out by saying, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. But can I just tell you that that's the wrong attitude? Always start out with praise and worship and giving thanks to God. And then um, as as you, you praise God and worship God and you start to feel the Spirit a little bit, uh, then uh, and after that you, you go in and, and you can start bringing your petitions before God, but always begin with praise and worship. But as you begin to feel the Holy Ghost moving in your life uh, and you begin to speak with other tongues in your personal prayer meeting, because Paul told uh, the Corinthian church, he said, I speak with tongues more than you all. It is right to speak in tongues in your personal prayer meetings. But as you begin begin to, to speak in tongues and you begin to fill the spirit, let God start to carry you along. And then as God begins to carry you along, uh, then let him move you in, into that uh, deeper mode of prayer. And so let's read this in the book of Romans chapter number eight and verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but let me just say it this way. Notice he says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. As you begin to move into the Spirit, many times you'll feel a heaviness come upon you. I've heard it often said that one of the greatest calls to intercession, how you can recognize that is when you feel depressed, when you feel a heavy weight upon you. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself, go to prayer. And as you begin to pray, you'll feel that weight start to press in on you. Surrender to that weight and allow God to begin to move on you. And what you're going to find out is pretty soon you're going to move into that dimension of either praying uh, forcibly in tongues or also praying with a heaviness. And, and uh, you may be groaning in the spirit, not even really saying words, but you're groaning in the spirit. The Bible talks about travail. Obviously, when a woman travails um, and she's about to give forth birth, she's she's crying. It's unintelligible groans. Uh, it's like she's in pain. Well, that's the way intercession feels. Now, this may sound totally foreign to those of you out here that don't know anything about this, but can I just tell you that there's nothing like interceding before God. And this has happened to me before, and I can tell you that it's never without a reason. When God moves on you with a spirit of intercession, 
intercession, surrender to it. You may never live to see the results of your intercession. I'm reminded of a story of a young man, and I'm going to try to attempt to close this down here pretty soon. But uh, there's a story that I read recently in a book, uh, a testimony of an apostolic preacher. And he mentioned the fact that him and several of his buddies used to kind of go up on a hill that was a drug hill. And uh, they were making drug deals and different things on this hill. And there was a family that was passing by, a Pentecostal family, and a young boy sitting in the back seat who had a special walk with God and a special prayer life. And he passed by this hill and he asked his parents about it. And uh, he had never seen anything like it. There were a lot of bums on the hill, a lot of people that were obviously homeless down and out. And uh, they passed by this hill. And and because of the place where they lived, they had never seen anything like this before. And they're all greatly saddened. Well, that boy was deeply moved by it. And the next day, as he went out fishing, he was hit with a heavy burden. And he fell to the earth. And he began to intercede for the people on that hill. What that boy did not realize is that years later, there were several people on that hill that that would be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and at least one of them went on to become an apostolic preacher. Can I just tell you that God can use you in the mode of intercession if you want to be used this way, but if you're going to be used as an intercessor, you've got to have a regular prayer life. You've got to pray every single day, and you've also got to be uh, somebody that doesn't just sit there and watch the clock while you pray. And you might say, well, I'm having difficulty praying. You know, uh, Jesus talked about, can you not watch with me for one hour? A good principle is to pray an hour every day. And you might say, well, how in the world can I pray an hour? I can hardly pray 10 minutes. I was asked that one time by uh, by somebody. And uh, I, I remember responding to him and, and I just said, you know, prayer starts out as a discipline uh, and then it becomes a habit. And, and after it becomes a habit, it can become a pleasure. But it starts out as a discipline. And you've got to work at it at first because it's brand new to you. And so as you work at it, but you must realize that God is listening to you. God loves you. And God wants to answer your prayer. And so... Uh, a good thing to do is to picture Jesus standing right there in front of you and talking to him as a friend. I'm reminded of one of the most powerful prayer warriors I've ever known in my life. We've talked about him in some of the interviews, Brother Eddie Milam, but he used to just talk to God as a friend, just like God was sitting right there. God, you know my boy out there. He's not doing right. God, I can't touch him. I've tried talking to him. God, would you go down and talk to him today? I mean, he talked to God like God was his best friend. I'm reminded of many different preachers I've heard about that had the same kind of relationship with God. They just talked to God as a friend. And please go refer to our interview with Pastor Davis uh, for a, a discussion of this topic because while it's true you can talk to God as a friend sometimes God while you're talking to him will move you into a deeper mode of intercession so there's different modes of prayer there's different modes of prayer and um, a a book that is highly recommended is Verbal Beans book on prayer if you don't know about prayer and you feel like it's something you want to really learn about um, I highly recommend Verbal Beans book on prayer that's something that's absolutely beautiful for you to read and uh, it will help teach you how to pray. And it will also teach you about the different modes of prayer. Okay, so I need to move on uh, in this lesson because there's one more thing I want to talk about. So to make a long story short, short, the Bible talks about the fact Moses goes down to the people and he takes those Ten Commandments in his hand. And when he sees the people dancing around this golden calf, he takes and he throws 
those, uh, th- those Ten Commandments down that were written on tablets of stone, inscribed with the finger of God, and he breaks them. And this is what it says, verse number 19 of Exodus chapter 32, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made, and burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel to drink of it. Now, I've heard Moses criticized many times, many times, because he lost his temper here. Um, And people say, well, Moses is wrong to break those Ten Commandments. But I believe this was showing that Moses knew that the people had broken the commandments of God. And so Moses took and and threw them down and broke them. And that's kind of a symbol that the people had destroyed those commandments commandments and therefore the covenant was now invalid they had broken their part of the agreement remember a covenant is an agreement between two parties so when Moses took and he broke those ten commandments uh, there's a reason he broke them it's showing the people have broken their end of the of the covenant and it and he knew that the covenant was off then he ground it to powder he made the people to drink it uh, he told Aaron what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them and Aaron said let not the anger of my Lord wax hot thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Now that's a little humorous there. It's almost like he said, Well, hey, I just took all the jewelry, and I threw it into the fire, and out walked this calf. But uh, watch this. And it says, And when Moses saw that the people were naked... Now, notice this. This is very, very interesting, okay? Because if you go back, it says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Moses saw the people were naked dancing around this golden calf. Apparently, there was some form of promiscuity going on. Can I just tell you that, um, you know, if you look into Satan worship, oftentimes Satan worship is accompanied. uh, Satan worship is accompanied by um, promiscuity, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, uh, because when in the beginning, God made them male and female, and he created them to have uh, a relationship between one man and one woman. But the more of the world that has, that has entered in, um, the more sin that has entered into the picture, excuse me, and the more that the world uh, goes after the ways of sin, you notice the more promiscuous they become. Uh, the more immorality that's practiced. Why? This is not driven of God. This is a spirit of the devil. It's the spirit of the Antichrist working in the world. It's the spirit of Satan. And he drives people to take more clothes off. And he drives people to become more promiscuous. Okay? And so the Bible tells us very plainly here that they got naked. It says, For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Nakedness is often associated with shame, and I don't have time to to get into all of that here today. Okay, so if we keep reading here, um, the Bible tells us uh, several things about what happens here, and I'm going to make a long story short rather than just take time to read it. So after this, Moses rebukes the people sternly. He goes back and he pleads the case before God, and he begs God, God, your people have sinned greatly. God, we're so sorry for what we've done. God, please, I'm begging you that um, that you need to uh, reestablish your covenant with us. Have mercy upon us. Please forgive us. And the Lord finally says, well, Moses, I'm not going to destroy them, but I'm not going to go with you. I'll send my angel to go 
with you. And so Moses is very concerned about this. He doesn't want God just to send his angel. He wants God himself to go with them. And so Moses goes down and he makes something called the tent of meeting. And it's kind of like an in-between place. Since God says, I'm I'm departing from the people, I'm not going to be in their midst. Moses tries to make a tent of meeting. It's an in-between place saying, God, if you're not going to meet with the people, then please let me set up this tent that's between you and the people. And, and, and please, God, let's bargain. Let's talk. And so he sets up this tent of meeting and he goes in and he pleads the case before God. And ultimately, because of this tent of meeting, Moses uh, is able to, to talk to God and able to intercede before God to where God finally says, okay, Moses, I will go back and I will dwell in the midst of the people. And can I just say here today, and let me uh, end this lesson in this way, that perhaps you've made a mistake and perhaps you've committed a great sin and you don't think God will ever let you back into his presence. Can I encourage you today, make a tent of meeting, make an in-between place, make, make a place where you can pray before God and cry before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. God, I've made a terrible mistake. God, I understand that I've hurt you with my sin. I've done wrong. God, please forgive me. And can I tell you that when you pray before God, God will hear your prayer. If you're sincere in your prayer, if you're honest before God, if you confess your sin and you're not trying to make excuses for your sin and you're not trying to blame somebody else for your sin, remember, sin brings separation between you and God. But can I tell you, set up a tent of meeting and that tent of meeting, can I name it? It's called repentance. Set up a tent called repentance. It's a beautiful tent of meeting. Set it up. And if you repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you, can I tell you today, God is a merciful God. He's slow to anger and wrath and abounding in loving kindness. Thank you, Jesus, today for this lesson. Speak to everybody's heart and soul. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.